far are you going? About 30 years. Welcome to On Borrowed Time on the Ciscoid Cinema feed, the show that looks at time travel movies and examines the rules they go by. I'm Ciscoid, and my guest on this inaugural episode with which to talk about the Back to the Future trilogy is no stranger to time travel. He's the host of Straight Outta Gallifrey, a Doctor Who podcast that's been running for eight years now, uh, and the founder of the Right On Network. AJ Wright, welcome to the show. Hello, Cisco. Hello, everyone. I'm really happy to be here. You were a natural guest to talk about time travel, obviously. But also, our topic is Back to the Future. And I believe this is uh, this, this has a special place in your heart as well. A very special place in my heart. So I guess it was maybe 1985, 1986. Uh, my family rented three movies. One was Pinocchio, Pee Wee Herman's Big Adventure, and Back to the Future. So... This movie introduced me to the genre of time travel and adventure and genre hopping. So this is my Star Wars, my Star Trek, my G.I. Joe. I, I watched. I had cable at an early age, so I watched Back to the Future Part 1 over and over. Wow. I saw Back to the Future Part 2 at the movies, and that was a big deal because I didn't go to the theater that much. So, yeah, this, this is uh, near and dear. All right. Well, I saw the first one in the theater, and obviously that was a classic of my youth, right? I was a teenager at the time, a little bit older than you. Obviously, it was magic. I had a friend, I've, I've mentioned this to you before, but actually my sister's best friend, but she was my age, so we, we sort of hung around. When it came out, 85, we were 14, and she hopped around the Atlantic provinces and Quebec just to see it again in the theater. So she must have seen it 30, 40 times before it went out of theaters. <laughs> uh, I think there was possibly a little crush on Michael J. Fox going on there. Understandable. Yeah. And as for me, well, I, you know, I kept up with the franchise, obviously, as the different chapters came out. It was always kind of exciting. None of them are as good as the first one, but like I really like the third. Let's do a quick synopsis before we get into the time travel mechanics since we're, we're, we're there. We're talking about that. In the first movie, 1985 Marty McFly goes back to 1955 to retroactively save the life of Doc Brown, inventor of time travel, but he accidentally prevents his parents from getting together, so he has to play matchmaker as well or he'll be erased from history. In part two, he goes to 2015 to sort out his future family and accidentally gives his dad's old bully the means to become rich and powerful and has to return to 1955 to fix things crossing his own timeline. And in part three, Marty goes back to the Old West to rescue a stranded dog brown, or so he thinks. So let, let me ask you first, this isn't really a, a kind of recap show uh, where we discussed every little thing about the movie, we, we want to concentrate on time travel and the mechanics of time travel. But let's talk about our general appreciation. Like, what do you think of these three movies as a group and, and individually? Okay, so the thing is, Michael J. Fox, he's so charming in this. I remember he, he played a big influence on me. You know, he's my favorite Republican, Alex P. Keaton. Right. And I sign my name Ashford J. Wright till this day because of Michael J. Fox. But as far as appreciation, I think maybe I've only seen part three a couple of times, maybe in its entirety once. 
but playing these back to back to back, I think this works as one cool, well put together as far as their rules trilogy. One big story. Yeah, I think the first one is a near perfect movie. Everything they set up, how they do it, it all pays off. It's like you just see things visually and then later on it pays off. Uh, I feel like it rewards rewatching, right? So well constructed. What do you think about as far as Marty McFly as a character? Because watching it now, I didn't realize how video gamey it was. It's just him kind of running around. Like, who is he? Does he have buddies? He has a band. He has a band. He has a girlfriend. Has a family. Yeah, I, th- I think the problem with Marty McFly, I mean, he's, he's supposed to be a teenager. He's got, you know, his ambitions are pretty low, but he comes from a, a family with low ambitions at the beginning. So in the first movie, I completely buy into it. I mean, he's the assistant to this. Maybe this is how he makes, like, money on, on the side to buy his guitar. <laughs> like, he works with four Doc Brown. We never really delve into all of that, right? Uh, he comes from this small town, which may be in the American Midwest. I mean, according to the the Western bit, where it's a, it's a township. Yeah, the mesas in the background is like, oh, was that that was was that there all along? <laughs> You've got a problem with the two next movies, basically, because I think they had the same question you just had: Who is Marty McFly? And they sort of give him character traits. And we will come back to this in the time travel topics, because I do think it's explainable using time travel. But he suddenly, like, you can't call him chicken and he can't back down from any challenge. That's not in the first movie. So that seems to be like a plug-in personality trait, which I do not like. That causes a lot of problems in the subsequent movies. Like, I think part two is kind of shouty. It's uh, the comedies played very broadly sometimes. Characters are talking and they're supposed to be hiding but they should be seen and heard you know it's like you're in the back seat of biff's car and he can't hear you talking on the cb that's you know kind of absurd it's not as well put together as the first one you know it's like they're struggling to keep this going when maybe the first one you know like it ends on a cliffhanger but it's really a joke right it's not necessarily supposed to lead to other things and when they had to lead to other things they had to put a little more meat on marty's bones on his personality i think when marty is is kind of running into himself back in 1955 in the second part it starts to come alive but you know it feels like that movie is an effects reel to show how we can put the same actor in the same shot multiple times they play with that a lot in the future sequence but you know what does it really bring you know so maybe because of the time travel element marty's personality evolves maybe through time travel updates historical updates we'll talk about this more but i mean did you think the character was a little thin yeah i I think uh who was it eric stoltz that they asked to play it at first i could see i think i've seen like little clips of it and i could see what he was probably trying to bring to us some heaviness and some weight where uh, the creators at b they're like look we just need a protagonist to run through uh, these effects and this storytelling that we're about to tell. I think when I watch, when I revisited this time, Martin McFly, he's in that band, but he doesn't really interact with them. No. Jennifer, when you first see them, it was like they were just getting their relationship going, but then Destiny said that they had to be together. We'll talk about maybe at the end, they might be able to get out of that Destiny. And even with his family, it's kind of like he's... Not the black sheep of the family, but kind of like uh, like like my older brother, my middle sister, my parents. I really don't fit in with them. So he seems like someone that doesn't have two feet in as far as attachments. 
And that's how the characters kind of played throughout. I mean, the only person he really connects with is this uh, physicist scientist that did deals with the Libyans to get some power. And I want that <laughs> prequel backstory. I want it. <laughs> Yeah. Doc Brown is interesting. I, I know. And, and I noticed one of the things I noticed watching it again this time is that he has a gun, you know, to protect himself from the Libyans. So he's got a gun on him from the beginning. And that gun is like a Colt with like a sort of ivory handle. And oh, then, wow. you know, the, like the, as, as we'll see, the third chapter is in the Old West. And he's happy to be there, right? He, like the letter that he sends, Marty is like, don't come back for me. I'm, I'm happy. I'm fine. It just happens that he'll be killed that week and that's why Martin will go back. But does it speak to maybe like an interest in the Old West or a sort of, uh, uh, you know, a fantasy life for him where he he thinks of that time as kind of a frontier and it interests him and he's got that gun that seems to fit in the Old West. Especially his generation where they would have grown up watching and listening to Davy Crockett. So Totally. I mean, depending on what age he actually is, because one of the jokes is that he's kind of the same age in 1955, or seems to be. Hey, here's something else that they cleared up in the sequels. When you watch part one, and something they mentioned in this was that, I think, let's say a 20-year-old watched these three movies and went like, oh, that was a franchise? Like, no, duh. But back then, that wasn't a guarantee. Like you said, at the end of part one, that was just some throwaway joke about like, hey, we got to do something about your kids. It was years later when they went like, hey, guys, you want to do a sequel? So it was like, oh, then you get part two and then part three. They like they give you the promise that, hey, part three is coming soon. So it's like, oh, but like nowadays we understand like this is going to be a franchise, a, a trilogy before the first one even comes out. Right. And when it doesn't happen because the film flops, you're kind of left with something that's incomplete. Uh, and it does feel like if you watch part two, and part two and part three were filmed basically at the same time or contiguously, right? It's, it's meant to be, and you can tell, like the way that the yes. first movie works, they set up things and they pay off within the movie. In part two, they set up things that then only pay off in the third movie, right? So like you see Biff in the, uh, there's an alternate present that's a dystopia and Biff is super rich and he's watching... For a fistful of a dollars. He's, he's watching Clint Eastwood and uh, Marty walks in on him. But, but that moment inspires a moment in the Western in part three. If you're watching these back to back, you can see how those two movies are really just one big sprawling movie where they set up things. In part two, you're going to, oh, there's a big accident that makes Marty's life go off the rails. Well, that accident is prevented at the end of part three. You know, it's it's stuff like that, where when they were doing two, they knew they were also doing three yes. and paying them off. And I think they came out like, like very close together. Yeah, it was like the next summer. Now, did I read this wrong? I think when we were watching part one, they were insinuating in a silly way that Einstein... That was the same dog from 1955 to 1985? No, that's impossible, right? And then in the sequels, they clear it up. No, it's a different dog. Yeah, he's called Copernicus. In yes. the, in the, it's a different dog, the same breed, younger at that point, more a puppy. Yeah. <laughs> but in part one, I, I think they were mm. kind of in a silly way trying to insinuate this is the same dog. Yeah, I think maybe, <laughs> I mean, I think maybe you're right there. Like the science that Doc Brown uses, he could have extended the lifespan of his dog. Who Yikes. knows, you know, he was working on everything at the same time. So to me, part two is the weakest because maybe it doesn't feel as complete. Uh, and also, I don't think many of the elements are just kind of goofy and uh, it's not structures as well. 
Whereas part three, and I want your opinion on this because I guess you recently watched it almost for the first time in a way since you haven't watched it as, as many times as the others. Like I feel like uh, you told me this when we were planning the show that the first one you kind of knew by heart. And I agree. Mm -hmm. Me too. And part three is a little bit like that for me as well. Like every line reading, every expression, I kind of expected. And when I saw it, it's like always, that's part of my memory. So I don't know that I watched it as often as the first one. I don't, I don't think. But it was very memorable to me in the same way that the first one was. So I rated pretty highly. I was afraid to revisit part three for this project. And when I watched it, I was surprisingly charmed by it. I felt like it fleshed out characters. It gave Marty McFly like his own independent agency where he tells Doc Brown from 1955, like, no, I'm going to go back in time and get you out of there. Whereas it was always accidents before. Yeah. Yes. Or, or circumstantial. And then what, is it Mary Steenburgen? Yeah, she's great. Hey, here's look like I'm, I can't. I'm going to have to show favoritism towards this franchise. I mean, it's Back to the Future. It's, it's Michael J. Fox. It's Mary Steenburgen. It's going to be hard for me to diss this movie. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't want you to. Uh, you know, I, I do diss uh, part mm -hmm. two. You know, I, I do think part two is a bit of a slog. I, there, there are some cool things in it, but generally I'm kind of, okay, you know, and I'm just waiting for part three. I'll stick up for part two because of this. Okay. Now, do you think Back to the Future part one, do you think that introduced to the public at large to like science fiction in general, you know, because usually science fiction, especially back then, that's on some on the side stuff for the public at large. Oh, okay. And that's, well, the early 80s were very, very science fiction. Before Back to the Future, we'd had E.T., which was a massive mainstream that, yeah. hit. We had the Terminator movie, uh, the first one. We had, you know, Blade Runner was perhaps more boutique <laughs> in terms mm -hmm. of who, what people love. But there was so much, yeah, a lot of blockbusters were science fiction and fantasy. To me, it was like, oh, you know, it's like one week it's Indiana Jones, the next week it's Star Trek II, the next week it's, uh, in this okay. era, we still have like um, Return of the Jedi, etc. So there was a lot of sci-fi in the 80s as genre and kind of boys movies, I'll use that in air quotes, just became like the big blockbusters of the time. So I think Back to the Future is a science fiction movie, yes, but Because we've had so many science fiction movies and they've been mostly played for straight, I think its twist <laughs> yeah. is to give us a comedy. <laughs> yes. You know? Because with part two, I think uh, I think also Back to the Future, that's one where I think you could have talked about that in mixed company at the time. But uh, with part two, I remember what blew my mind because I think I was, I was in fifth grade. The whole thing when they are like, whoa, man, you know, Bifferific land. They went back, he went back in time, messed things up. And then they're like, well, hey, let's just go to the future and stop him. And when Doc Brown was on that chalkboard and he's like, no, 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 we go to the future. That's Biff's future. I remember that blowing my mind at the time because like, I, that was my introduction to like time travel and multiple timelines and all this. Yeah, because quite separate from science fiction, time travel movies, I mean, Terminator had done it. It's kind of the opposite of Back to the Future, uh, not just in tone, but... With Back to the Future, we're going to be talking about rubber time, whereas Terminator is, it's also rubber time, but you don't see it rubberize. Yeah, I hear you. It feels like fixed history, like everything that happens was supposed to happen. Whereas in this, you go back, you change things, you kind of ruin your own present. It's kind of a different animal. Time travel movies, there weren't that many. You know, like Terminator comes from before, 
And of course, you can. There's the time machine based on the H.G. Wells, which at that time was like a 1950s movie. Uh, but you don't get a whole lot of mainstream time travel movies. Back to the Future is kind of like a classic in that subgenre. Let's talk about rubber time. How is history changed? And how does it work in the film? How do these paradoxes work? What What is your evaluation? To me, as far as uh, script writing, th- especially with part one, but all of them, they made a time travel story seem easy to do as far as plot wise and writing and giving it to the public at large. This would have to be Earth 5, because if we actually like at the end of the movie, it ends with Marty in 1985. So we have to deal with Marty inventing rock and roll, you know, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So it's like, wait a minute, what what is the effects of this? And also, do you think Doc Brown needs a staff? (laughs) He certainly needs a bigger operation if if this is what he's going to be doing. I don't know. Is he very bad at applying for grants? (laughs) There's something they did mention in this about he said something, something his family fortune. I'm like, that's interesting too. Right. That's how he's paying for all this, possibly including black market plutonium. He's independently wealthy. So that makes, I mean, sense within the comedy of the movie. You mentioned, okay, let's let's address that. Marty McFly invents rock and roll or seems to. Mm. And if you go online, uh, you'll find, you know, lists of mistakes that Back to the Future makes according to these, and pardon the expression, shit posts <laughs> because I don't think that obviously that's going to generate clicks, but I don't think the mistakes that they mention are often really mistakes within the logic of the film. And to me, when I, I see uh, uh, Marty McFly seem to inspire rock and roll by playing rock and roll, then, I mean, this is a, like a Dr. Who Capaldi thing. Who wrote it? You know, who wrote Johnny B. Good? <laughs> you know, why did Goldie become mayor? Like, would that have happened if Marty hadn't mentioned it? I think yes. I think he's only, like, confirming the timeline. Chuck Berry would have written Johnny B. Good even if he hadn't heard it over the phone. It's just now he hears it over the phone, so that kind of confirms his confidence in the style of music. Uh, Goldie would have become mayor because Marty says, uh, you become mayor. It's like, mayor, yeah, I should become mayor. You know, in the 50s, that doesn't... That doesn't jibe with anyone else at the malt shop. So they, they kind of mock him. But the reason he, he responds to it so well is because, yeah, he has it in him. He has political ambitions. If only the opportunities were there. So he responds well to it because in the future, without the time travel, without Marty saying that in the original timeline, he was inspired to do it just naturally. So I think there's a lot of moments like this that are not paradoxes, You know, they would have happened anyway. It's just in timeline A, they happen naturally. In timeline B, uh, they had a little help. But they happen no matter what, because or else Marty would not know to play Johnny B. Good, would not know to call Goldie Mayer, because those things would not have happened yet. And as we see in the rubber time element of these movies, is that when you change the past, the future is updated. Not immediately, there's like a slow roll a wave because those pictures, right? The pictures kind of start to fade. So when you go back to your home time, it will have changed as we see at the end of the first movie. So whatever you change has a, a ripple effect that when you go back, you don't recognize your own present. So it means that nothing can have already been changed. 
So Marty did not invent rock and roll, and Marty did not put the mayor idea in Goldie's head or anything like that, or even his own name, you know, because Lorraine says, oh, Marty, I like that name. And then she'll name one of her kids Marty, but not her first kid, right? Yeah, yeah, very interesting, yeah. The third kid, yeah. so it's not like... Uh, I think she would always have called a kid Marty because that's a name she likes. When she hears, she goes, oh, Marty, I like that name. Yeah, you would always have liked that name. You don't like it because, I mean, she she spends all her time calling him Calvin in the past, <laughs> yeah. right? She thinks he's Calvin Klein because it's written on his underwear. So she mostly calls him Calvin and then sometimes calls him Marty because that's what he wants to be called. So it's more surprising that there isn't a kid called Calvin in the exactly. updated present, right? <laughs> Is the first son, is that Jimmy Olsen? It is Jimmy Olsen okay, from the, right. I, I, the original yeah, Superman I, movies. Yeah. I just realized that last week. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, it's fun. I had the same thought, <laughs> essentially. But yeah, so the fact that it's a rubberized time means that you're always updated. I counted, I thought eight, but I think I count nine different timelines. That is fascinating. There's the original timeline. We got yep. your loser McFlies, Dog Brown Dies. Twin Pine Mall, and, and to, to, to hark to the third movie, Clayton Ravine. Yep. That's all part of the original timeline. Then there's the Calvin Klein timeline. He, he shows up and the picture starts to fade. So that speaks to a timeline that is existing in the future, but that we don't visit. But I think there is a timeline where the McFlies don't get together and Marty and his brother and sister do not exist. Then there's the updated timeline at the end of the first movie. McFlies are successful. It's now the Lone Pine Mall. Which was one of the things that you only notice on the second viewing, usually, because the car crashes into a pine at the mall yep. location. The doc is alive because he knew to get a bulletproof vest. And, uh, <laughs> and yeah, that's the updated timeline. Then we go to the future, right? So there's future one where Junior is jailed and the family is destroyed. I guess that's maybe part of the same timeline. Well, let's say it's the same timeline where... Uh, it's updated timeline. So there's only eight timelines, I guess, because that's what's supposed to happen in the updated timeline. Doc Brown comes back. All right. Future two, Biff has seen a time machine and Junior isn't jailed. So that's the difference there. Then you get a dystopian present where Biff owns everything. The Doc has been committed. But there's also technically a timeline where Lorraine almost leaves him. Then there's the reset. Old man Biff is there, but Biff doesn't end up with the almanac. So there's bullies, tries to interfere with OG Marty in, in that one. And then we get to the Old West. You get Old West variant one, Clayton Ravine, Doc lived and died in the Old West, which isn't part of the original timeline. Then Old West variant two, where it's now called Shonash Ravine. Doc and Clara survive. Marty is now in the picture and he dies instead of the Doc. And then Old West variant three is the same, but Marty survives and uh, prevents the accident that makes him a future loser. So that's now without that's changed that future as well. And it's a bit convoluted, obviously, when I say it like that, but there's a lot of updates in the timelines. Well done. Do you think, I mean, this is an, an element that we don't see often in time travel stuff. Do you think that works, the whole fading picture, the fading tombstone? Does that yes. make sense? I love it. I, I freaking love it. I think, uh, not celestial beings, but deities... Like, they should be, like, outside of time just looking at this, shaking their heads and going, we'll intervene if we need to. Now, here's something that wasn't explored. In part two, when Biff, he goes back in time to give something to himself. When he comes back, like, he's all, the car's frozen, he's frozen. In the outtakes, you see him fade away. 
because if it works, he won't be this Biff. He's going to be a, a Biff in 2015 that is very successful, married to Leah Thompson's character, Lorraine. Do you like that? I think we should have seen like more of that. The deleted scene is interesting because it addresses the actual paradox in the films. Like the one thing that doesn't really work is that uh, when Biff returns, that should have updated reality. It's not just him that should have disappeared. It's like the town... I mean, the town really bounces back because if this is the the same timeline where in 1985 it's a dystopia and the clock tower isn't there, instead there's this giant casino hotel, that should have had an impact on 2015, right? 2015 should also have had that hotel maybe be a a dystopia uh, of some kind instead of that shiny, nostalgic future. But the pictures and the tombstone kind of justify it because... There's a slow roll to the changes. The doc says ripple effect at some point. I like to call it a state of temporal grace in honor of mm-hmm. <laughs> Doctor Who and, and your show. Because Marty isn't updated. Like when, when he goes in the past, like he starts to disappear at some point where, uh, you know, when they're on the dance floor and they're not getting together. That's when it was very kind of science fiction, dark, scary. Like when he's disappearing on that stage, that's when yeah. it really felt like... Back to the Future is science fantasy kind of on a pop level. When they were doing that, that's when it felt very like, wow, this is something real. At that point, they've not been getting together for too long, maybe. And it's like catching up to him. He's not just disappearing from the picture. He's disappearing in the past, like his own self. But it takes a while. If it were immediate... Then he shows up in Lorraine takes care of him instead of his dad. And um, he would disappear entirely right then and there. Poof. Yeah. And then he never comes back. And then she never meets him. And like it becomes this this paradox that can't be resolved. Right. It's like a time loop of it can't happen that way. So there's like a slow, just like the picture is slowly fading. The tombstone is kind of unresolved as to who it's supposed to be right in the picture, stuff like that. It just takes time. So maybe, and this is how we could explain it. Old Biff goes back in time to 1955, which is a long way away from 2015, right? 60 years. Now history is going to change, but it's going to take a while. And it doesn't reach us when we see him get out of the car. It happens later. And so our two heroes jump in the car. They are not affected because they should be, right? In that present, the doc is committed and never creates time travel. So there shouldn't even be a car there. There shouldn't be a DeLorean. He shouldn't be there. Marty has been sent away to Switzerland uh, at school by his stepdad. None of this, like they shouldn't be there. They never got into that car in this updated 1985 but they're in 2015 so the like the change hasn't gotten to them there's a wave moving through time it hasn't gotten to them yet when they go back to 1985 the whole place has been changed and they themselves are present in two iterations there's a doc in an asylum somewhere there's a marty in switzerland but they are also there because it hasn't caught up to them but if it does they'll fade away so they can't stay there too long I think within the logic of the films, I think this isn't a problem. I don't think it's... Well, one, that was all well explained. I think also they're the center of the storm. Doc Brown, Marty McFly, and Mm. I guess who's ever close to that DeLorean. And that's why by why they're not affected. Yeah. Quickly, quickly. They're not affected quickly. Right. And the same thing, I mean, they also leave Jennifer in that 
<laughs> in, that, in that dystopian present. Uh, and she's possibly there twice as well. And they say, well, if we fix it, it'll restore 1985. And it's, it'll be like we put her on her porch in a normal present. So I think they realize there's the ripple effect and they can counter that by going back in time. Like if you keep time traveling, uh, you can stay ahead of the changes of the updates. Uh, and, and there is an update here. I mentioned it earlier. The don't call me chicken thing. So I'm thinking, is this an updated Marty? Mm. Because when Marty goes back at the end of the first film, Marty goes back. He finds that he has a successful family. His dad's an author. Uh, his mom is more in shape. It was like kind of kind of suggested that she was a bit on the sauce in the first ones. You know, had a problem yeah. with alcohol. And, but no, they're fit. They're they're they feel younger, even though they still have their aged makeup. His siblings are doing better. And Biff is a loser who's like shining their car. And he's changed the future. He made sure they got back together, but they don't get together under the same circumstances. And it makes George McFly more of a more of a concern at school. You want to run for class president and, and so on. Although you shouldn't run for class president on your senior year because that's your last year in school. Yeah. So that probably didn't happen, but he became more of a popular guy or more respected. And he had his confidence boosted through these events. So that changed his whole future and the future of the family because of fate. The same kids are born on the same dates. <laughs> Good for them. But Marty is not changed, or we don't see him changed. He's surprised to find him this way. His memory has not updated. He's surprised to find the big truck in the, in the garage. So for him, history hasn't caught up to him. At some point, by the time that he gets to 2015, I think he has updated. And now he's the Marty of this new timeline. And he's basically the same guy, but he's got this weird quirk. You know, I don't know, like something happened to his dad. His dad didn't back down that one time. Did he tell Marty the story as a, as a young man? And that changed things. And it made Marty obsessed with, well, you don't back down from a challenge. Nobody calls you chicken. Like my dad is my hero. He didn't back down. He got my mom. He got all of this based on his, on his teenage years. So I'm not going to back down. And that's like a key difference from when he was originally in a family of losers and he was a loser and kind of an outsider and he couldn't get his band on stage. You know, the school didn't want him there, etc. Like he was a loser. So by becoming a winner, did that change his personality? And that's why we see him do these things that cause lots of problems. And he has to learn a lesson. But it's a lesson that he didn't need to learn in the original timeline. I think in the updated George McFly, I believe he wouldn't have told Martin McFly that I think that's within Marty. He just didn't have a chance to express that in part one. Okay. But I think Marty has a chip on his shoulder. Which is still from the original timeline. Yes. Okay. I, now, I thought that I remember the whole, are you yellow? The, the, are you chicken? I remember that got on my nerves when I was a younger kid. And I remember that kept me away from part three because I thought they did that a lot. I'm like, what is with this? You're yellow. Yeah. Yeah, I don't like it. When they were like, okay, we're going to make a sequel, the creators, they knew we're going to do a Western. So I guess that's part of it, you know, this whole high noon thing. But I think that's, it makes sense. It is within Marty, but it was getting out of control because it was also a plot device because they could have gotten something accomplished. But when they threw in that Are You Yellow, it, it would make them turn around and stop. And, but I think that's within Marty McFly. Yeah. And also, yeah. Do, do you have any theories about not outside of this story, but inside the story, why we got another Jennifer? The timelines? Yeah. I think her? we can do an updated Jennifer theory 
here. You know, it's like, and that's that's why I called update on the chicken thing in, in a way. Because if you watch the first movie, the ending has uh, this actress playing Jennifer. And then when you get to the second chapter, it's like you're seeing an updated reality in which Marty has this fatal flaw. And it's like everything's gone wrong with your family. And it's like, oh, yeah, it catches up to him. All the problems in 2015 are caused by his not backing down from a drag race and getting into an accident. And then the family's fate is a little bit like the original George McFly's losers. And he still has that problem. It's still causing problems in his life, as we see in 2015. So what if whatever he did in 1955 at the dance, maybe, I don't know, changed who got with who? Yep. And then you get, you know, a child is still born that's called Jennifer, except she looks like Elizabeth Shue. <laughs> She's essentially the same person, but not quite. And Marty is still fated to be with her. So he is. And uh, But she looks different and he doesn't notice it. So in between chapter one and chapter two, boom, there's an update as reality rolls in, and she's changed a little bit later than the McFlies. Well, she would have been born later than the prom. First, the prom catches up to you, and then and then she does, because that's a later change. And you could explain it that way. Obviously, it's just a casting change. <laughs> just a casting thing. Were they insinuating that in 2015, Elizabeth Shrew's character was on the zip? I thought when they found her, that those two lady cops... They're like, oh, she's on that zip again. No, again? they didn't say that. No, no, okay, no, they, no, they don't say, say again. Right. They scan her and they say she's clean, so we just bring her home. Okay, all right. All they right. don't bring her to jail. But they think, oh, these damn zip heads, or, you know, they find junkies <laughs> in the alley all the time. And usually they bring them to jail, but then they scan her and say, like, oh, no, she's fine. She doesn't have a criminal record. She comes up clean. That's what they say. And so they bring her home where she will meet herself. You know, and there's a danger in that, I guess. Well, they mostly pass out when they see each other. There doesn't seem to be that. I mean, what do you think of this? Uh, this is a, a problem that we have with time travel movies that go to the future, or any science fiction movie that shows the future, obviously. But <laughs> 2015, how does it rate compared to ours? Okay, I'm just going to talk about like my experience, experience in the theater. I just yeah. remember being blown away. Like, oh my gosh, I can't believe they're doing this. You know, of course, the hoverboards and all of that, and the, the Mayan calendar. No, they didn't mention that, but I thought it was a lot of fun. I thought they showed us enough. And it was also like they fulfilled the promise. Like, hey, we're going to the future. It's something with your kids. And I like the idea that once that was quote unquote solved, there was more movie left. So I was very excited about that. I think the, the future sequences are actually the weakest, probably. You know, it's like you feel like, what are the stakes here? Now, also... What were they thinking with the whole, uh, there are no lawyers in 2015? Yeah, it's weird, eh? <laughs> it doesn't sound like democracy, but it was a utopia. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know what's going on. Basically, it's when you show the future and it's all going to be jokes and gags. Yeah. You know, the nostalgia for the 80s, uh, the tech. It's like saying today, oh, in the future, we'll have flying cars. And they do, right? It's like, no, we're obviously not. And I mean, we're in 2023 and we don't have flying cars, nor would we... You don't want think it. That that's, you wouldn't want it. No, it's it's not realistic. And we realize that. But since the 40s or 50s, people have been saying, in the future. And, you know, the faraway future from the 1950s was like the year 2000. You know, it's like 2001, a space odyssey. Like, we don't have that <laughs> as imagined in 1968. So <laughs> similarly, but here they're, they're going, well, no, let's, let's just do those things. Kids will have, you know, bionic parts and, and flying cars and, and hoverboards and all of this stuff. You know, we can do that 
because it's a joke future. And the way like they have like the family dinner and it's all coming up from the the ceiling, etc. You know, it's a joke future. So they can do pretty much anything. And they're not trying to to, to reasonably say what will 2015 look like. <laughs> yeah, no, not at all. But the, the, like the stakes are, okay, well, we got to stop Marty Jr. who's a real loser from following Griff and getting framed for a robbery. So that's done like really fast. And then we're just like, we're still in the future and we're waiting around. So it's not until we come back to the dystopian present, uh, you know, like we need to go to the future so that old Biff can steal the car, give himself the almanac, etc. But it's not until we see like the updated present that we say, okay, here are the stakes. Here's what has to be stopped. Because in the original movie, the original stakes were keep Doc Brown alive, but then the stakes became to exist. I need to get my parents together. And that's a good comedy premise. And then, like, the second movie, like, takes a while to find its stakes. And then the third movie, well, the stakes are Dog Brown dies and... In a week. Give it a time limit. And we love him, so we don't want him to die. So those stakes are pretty personal. And uh, and then, he ha- you know, he has a romance, etc. So it kind of explains some of the weird anomalies that we've seen to date. So it's resolving the entire movie. And that that's also a movie that ends and then still has a bit to go because we need to see Marty almost get into that accident, but now he's learned his lesson and he changes the destiny of himself and his family, right? He may not even end up with Jennifer in this future. I think that was my takeaway as well. They don't have to get married when Doc Brown said like, hey, it hasn't been written yet. Because I think some of the things that that character saw, she was like, maybe I don't want to be with Marty. (laughs) Yeah, maybe. (laughs) But at the same time, now he's not, you know, he gets called out by Needles and he doesn't fall into that trap. It's almost more strange that she marries him in the original timeline after he's done this. Like he gets into an accident when he's 17 and they get married, even though he has little few prospects and he endangered her in the car. Maybe she wasn't in the car in the original. I don't think so. This is something he did alone. Because she's not injured. And so she nursed him back to health. It's the same story with Lorraine. She nursed George back to health in the original timeline. And even though he's a loser, they get together. Well, I got to say, she's... She plays it like pretty awkward. So I don't think like this is like as popular a girl as some other scenes might make you think, right? So it kind of makes sense that these low level teens kind of got together. Also, what I like about it too is that she knew they messed with time travel at the end. Her mind didn't get erased because she's like, hey, doc, I have this fax. It cleared up. So she, they know going forward. I know that you and Doc Brown, when you guys are hanging out, you are time traveling. Right. And it's something they can talk about and share for the rest of their marriage. Like she's there, right? When the train shows up and Doc Brown yes. is just like living a Jules Verne kind of life. So mm-hmm. yeah, so she's part of that family. I mean, have you ever watched a cartoon series? Yes. And now I have it. So I'm going to revisit it. I have it on DVD now. You know, they use all those characters. It, it happens like after this, right? It's, it's silly. I mean, it's silly 90s fair. I, I've watched like an episode or two in the past, like just to, well, did I watch it back in the day? 90s? Nah, college. Probably not watching Saturday morning cartoons, but uh, I did watch At least some, not that one. No, not that one. But uh, I did I did watch it uh, recently, just like not the whole series, but a few. And, you know, it is what it is. But I'm also a sucker for time travel things. So it can always be fun to, even in a cartoon, you know, you can have some some fun with it. Let's talk about this. What do you think about, I think I think I could explain this. What do you think about, yes, we understand that when we go to the Wild West, 1885, that Marty would bump into a family member that would look like him on the dad's side. We understand that. 
But what about Leah Thompson? As much as we love her, she is also... Because she wouldn't be his family yet. Like Lorraine Jackson. Great-great-grandmother. So in other words, there's been some intermarriage between these families in the past. Like she may be a Baines from that era. I mean, it's far enough away that we don't have to call shenanigans necessarily. But this is a very small community. Yeah, that and also uh, you see a lot of couples where they look like siblings. It's like, okay... Out of all the universe, how in the heck did you marry someone and you guys look like brother and sister? But yeah, I guess people are kind of attracted to themselves. Just like with, I think, the first uh, actress to play Marty McFly's girlfriend and even Elizabeth Shue, they kind of resemble Marty's mom. So mm. it's just like, okay, yeah, you know, I guess she looks like my mother. Here we go. Yeah. Lorraine. Yeah. You don't want anyone to bring this up. But if you had a good relationship with your mother, it was a the first woman that you ever loved and then or like similarly if you're if you're going after someone who looks like your dad you know it's like well the first man you ever loved and there you go you're kind of attracted to people who look 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 or have the same attitudes as your beloved family member uh it, it happens it happens nobody wants you to bring that up Jennifer. when you're a couple with someone that she kind of looks yeah. like you don't want that man she looks like your mama man she looks exactly <laughs> like your mama <laughs> But it's nevertheless true, right? There is something psychologically. And that's why we have Oedipus complexes. And that's why Freud thought that stuff up. <laughs> because there is some truth behind it. Yeah, but I think if it's, if um, Happy Valley is so small at this point, yeah, maybe just like the Banes were there, the McFlys were there, the, the Biffs were there, <laughs> you know, the Tannins, I guess. Mm-hmm. If, if there, It's like only a few families and they intermarried. Eventually, you know, 100 years later... You might have people marrying people that that are distantly related to yourself, especially if they're supposed to be like the original families. Yeah, we're the originally, yeah, of that town. It kind of makes sense. I, at the same time, I think we need Leah Thompson there. I was yes. like, oh, the third movie is Leah Thompson even going to be in there? Because I felt like she was such an important part of the first film, and this was a star maker for her, you know. And to have her, well, she doesn't really have a role that you can carry over into these other adventures, sadly. Especially not young Lorraine. So in the second movie, we do revisit those events and Lorraine is still there. Uh, and there's like a, a updated reality Lorraine and updated, updated reality Lorraine in the dystopian future uh, who is stuck married to Biff. And then we have a also a version where she's older in 2015. So she gets to be in it pretty much. Then I thought, oh, the Old West, she's not going to be there. So they have this other role for her. It's like, oh, well, and it's not a big one. But Marty does get to do the thing where he wakes up, he thinks he has a dream and his mom is in the room, but it's not his mom. Has to have that every time. What did you think about that too? Like these, uh, not ongoing tropes, but in each one, they're revisiting the skateboard scene where Biff was going to murder Marty McFly in public in broad daylight when he's like, I'm going to ram him. I'm going to ram him. Like they revisit that sequence in all three movies. The- right. You know, I knocked myself out. My, yeah, and my mom nursed me to health. Did you like that? Or did you think like, oh, man, that's too much of a coincidence? No, I, I, I felt like it worked. I felt like it's mm-hmm. history. If we talk about time travel tropes, it's history trying to re- reaffirm itself. You know, you're, you're causing problems with history. You're trying to change history. History's fighting back. And it's fighting back by, I don't trying to repeat itself. And so you get like these blips. These sort of glitches where the same thing happens, like the the license plate going round, right? These kinds of tropes keep returning. And I feel it's like, well, you've knotted up this piece of history. 
Like history is, is, I don't know, boiling because of what you're doing. And so you get these repeated motifs. I love it. Yeah, I think as a Doctor Who fan, I mean, that, those are the kinds of things that, that, that come up in your mind. I mean, I love how the movies kind of use, or anytime it, history is used as geography. You're going back in time, but we some events are set and we can use those events to manipulate time so in or the, the story. So in this case, the clock tower, right? Oh, man, I love that. It's like we know it's going to hit and they, like, they set it up so well that t- clock tower has stopped. We know the, the hour it stopped. He's lived all his life in that town. So he knows exactly what time the lightning strike is going to hit. That is all part of history. So when we go back, okay, we can use history to our advantage, in this case, to power the car. I, I've seen some some people say, oh, well, it doesn't make sense. The clock tower isn't hit by lightning, so the clock doesn't stop. So now Marty can't know and the flyer can't exist. It's like, no, no. Every shot we see in the further movies, the clock is still at the same time. So the lightning strikes. It's diverted down the line to the DeLorean, but it still hit the clock. You know, because we mm. still have people in 2015 saying, save the clock tower. And it's it's still stopped. It's still at the same hour. So, um, again, I think some people are trying to find flaws in these movies that aren't really there. Within the logic of rubber time, all of this is possible. Or most of this, anyways. Something else that this franchise introduced, just the whole thing of uh, not so happily ever after before we really start exploring that in the 2000s where it's like wait a minute okay it's in the movie shouldn't jennifer and marty live happily ever after and it's like no man your kids are in some wild stuff you make some questionable decisions and then even introducing this this is pretty dark where in the first movie when they have that first family gathering at the table and leah thompson's character is kind of looking at her husband like "Uh, i think i probably married the wrong guy should have done this and I think like on television and movies, I don't think they have been fully explored yet. No, I don't know. Yeah, I think it is. <laughs> you need to start from a bad present to get to the better present. Yeah. She's obviously with the wrong person, but that wrong person could be the right person under uh, different circumstances. So, I mean, it doesn't take itself too seriously is the thing. And in the sequel, the movie revisiting itself, even in time travel, that was a first for a movie franchise. I think so. And that becomes a thing with the whole, uh, that's a genre within itself. Like, okay, we're going to revisit where we were so we can't bump into ourselves. They did that in the third Harry Potter story. We've seen that a lot. I I think it's fun. All right. Well, let's talk about our final summation here, Uh, because certainly the first Back to the Future is a beloved classic. And like I said, a lot of people have been trying to poke holes into it, into the sequels. But I think we do have to give it a lot of leeway because it plays as a comedy. But still, this is something that we're going to do on on Borrowed Time. We have to give it a temporal score. How would we rate them? Here I introduce the clock scale. High noon is the best. One o'clock is the poorest. 1 a.m. How do we rate each of the chapters as movie? Oh, my gosh. Okay, so we can say like 6 p.m., 3 p.m., all that, right? Let me go first in this one. I think the first one is noon. I think it's as good as it as it gets in terms of fun, entertaining movies. The second one, like I said, didn't like it much. It's like a 5.55, just under the middle. And then I think the third one is an 11. I'll give the the first one high noon. I would go with Back to the Future Part 2 a 7. And I'll give Part 3 a 10 a.m. Okay. Okay. Well, it's all fair. On that same scale, how do we rate the time travel mechanics of each chapter? 
So this is just for the time travel elements, including how cool or clever or how logical they are, whatever, however we want to rate them. I'm going to give part one a high noon. I'm going to give part two a high noon as well, because just the whole thing of going back to that. I mean, we can call it a dystopian 1985, but for a lot of people, that was a reality. Uh, I'm going to give that a high noon as well, because that whole thing with we have to go back to 1955 to undo what Biff was doing. And I'm sorry, I'm going to give part three a high noon as well, because the we got to go back to save Doc. It's a limited time period and also limited resources because we're in the Wild West. I loved it. I don't think that the two further chapters are quite as tight in terms of the time travel elements. Like it does make you ask questions as to how are people surviving? I, you know, I had to talk about the time ripples to make it make sense. And the movie doesn't quite do that by itself. So uh, I will say that the first one is an 11 o'clock. I'm docking an hour just because of the fading pictures. And it's a good, <laughs> yeah, it's a good movie concept. It's very visual, but mm, doesn't really make sense. And then I'm going to say the second movie is like a 7.30. And the, the Old West one, chapter three, is maybe a 9.30. But I'm, I'm being very harsh on these, I yes. admit. All right. Well, AJ, thanks for taking this trip through film history with me. And uh, maybe you can tell the folks uh, where they can find you and what you're working on right now. Yes. One, uh, Cisco, thank you for having me on here. This was a lot of fun talking about Back to the Future. Uh, a lot of the things that I podcast about at the Right On Network are things I came to in adulthood. Now, I do do a Seinfeld podcast, so that was something that I got into in middle school. But talking about this, yes, I'm, this is my elementary year. So this really had an impression of me and I guess like going forward, what type of things that I like. So I had a lot of fun. It, it really made me revisit my childhood and things that I felt at the time. But yeah, I'm over at the Right On Network. You can reach me at thehuntresspodcast.com. You can email me at feathersandfoes at gmail.com. And we're working on things like uh, the Huntress Podcast, where we talk about Helena Wayne and Helena Bertinelli. I also do Straight Out of Gallifrey, like Cisco had mentioned, a Doctor Who podcast where we talk about Doctor Who episodes that feature other Time Lords. And if you've ever watched. Blake Seven. We also have Straight Out of the Federation of Blake Seven podcast. So yeah, you can find those feeds at Apple Podcasts, anywhere you can Google it. But right on network, right like the Wright brothers. Thanks a lot, Cisco. And really, you were the first on my list. So thank you for doing this. Cisco Cinema on Borrowed Time is a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. So if you're listening to this and have your own opinions on what we've discussed, please feel free to head over to fireandwaterpodcast.com to leave a comment. I'll read them on our next episode. And if you like this content, think about visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com slash fwpodcasts. Until we speak again, thanks for lending us some of your precious time.